You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word, we're actually going to look at three short passages that represent a larger body of text. But obviously, if I read it all to you today, well, that's all we'd have time to do. So let's look at Genesis 25 um, and verse 21. And here we have uh, the, the, the story of um, the birth of Jacob. So verse 21, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, let's turn to Genesis 45. So let me hear those pages turning, okay? Genesis 45, verses 7 and 8. Now this is at the very end of the Joseph story, and you'll remember these familiar words if you know the story. Joseph says to his brothers, And God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all this house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, we're going to skip forward to Judges 13. Let's see how fast you can find that. It's like Bible drill here today with, with big church. Judges 13, and I'm going to read verses 17 and 18 and then 24 and 25. Let's hear these words. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask me my name? Seeing it is wonderful. And then if you'll look there at verse 24. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, had three small portions of Scripture dealing with three very important persons in the Old Testament. And God, your work in their lives was amazing. And God, may that be said of us as well, that you are doing amazing, surprising things through us. Lord, move in a mighty way here in our midst today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thursday afternoon, I had the honor of going up to the north side of town and visited with John Stroop, who is the leader, founder of Freeway Ministries. Many of you know or have heard of this ministry here in Springfield because God has been doing amazing and surprising things uh, through John and through that ministry. And this is just a little hint of things to come. We're praying and hopefully we're going to have the Save Our City revival here in our building this next fall. It's going to be a big deal. We are so pumped up to have John here. And let me tell you why. Because God is doing something amazing in this man. The first time I met him, uh, I, I realized that this wasn't the typical Southern Baptist pastor. He's covered in tattoos. Uh, he has served time in prison. The guy has quite a story. And as we were talking, he looked at me and, you know, um, he said to me, uh, basically the way we look at things here is that among Christians there are these, these subcultures. And he said, I'll tell you, the subculture I come from is very different than the one you come from. 
And let me explain what he was trying to get at. He was saying that the kind of people that, that God has called him to reach are people who are hungry and desperate for God. They know how broken they are, and they are ready for a miracle. And let me tell you what happens. Often, miracles happen. That's one subculture. And then we have a subculture that would be more common here at Ridgecrest. And this is not a bad thing. That Many of us were raised in church, and we have been brought up with a godly heritage, and we have avoided many of the painful elements of this world, whether it's addiction or other sin. Um, We've been blessed. But because of that, sometimes we take for granted what God can do. And many times it's people like us, we're missing the miracles because we've not really seen all that God can do. I'm going to tell you, Ridgecrest, it is time for us to be the kind of people who want the surprise of God and believe in the miracle working power of God. Christmas time is a good time to talk about miracles because that's what it's all about, brothers and sisters. God sent his only son to save us. That's the greatest miracle of all. And you don't have to have a crazy backstory to experience this grace. In fact, I wish more of us would realize how good God is in saving us. Our sins are serious business too, but God nailed them to his cross. And so today we see in three people how God works great miracles. Jacob he was a man of deceit. Joseph was a man of conceit. And we see Samson was a man of violence. What's interesting and what I didn't realize before this Advent study that we've been doing together is that all three of these men also have their beginnings in barrenness. In other words, their, their mothers and fathers were barren and it was a miracle of God. We remember that word barren in the Old Testament means a miracle has to occur for conception to occur. And in all three of these instances, that's the common denominator. And we're moving towards the miracle birth of Jesus. But here today, let's look at these three individuals. And we have to go fast. But I want to show you a couple things here and what God can do. My prayer is that God will begin to surprise all of us. Let's look at Jacob and how God worked through a man of deceit. When you talk about a person who is crafty and shifty and willing to do shady things, usually we're not talking about somebody to celebrate, all right? Uh, those types of people are the kind of people we look out for. It is a surprise that God would use someone like Jacob. Now, let me just say this. He was uh, sly and crafty even out of the womb. The story is that, that it was like he was holding on to his brother even coming out of the womb. I mean, from the beginning, this guy had character. He had tenacity. And here's the deal. Jacob was a, a tenacious man. And all throughout his story, when we look at his story through the scriptures, we see time and time again, this is a guy who is going to get his way one way or another. But before he came into this world... We see uh, that Rebekah was barren. And Isaac and Rebekah, they are, are, are seeking God. They're interceding with God. We see that in the verse I read to you, verse 21, uh, 25, 21. This man cries out to God, and that leads to a miracle. But the miracle leads to a pregnancy that is rough because you have two boys. Now, I, I can tell you this. I love every Wednesday night seeing Rich's kids come out uh, uh, from, from the nursery or whatever. And man, they're just all over the place. It's just chaos, man. 
they're, they're, they're battling one another, and then they start battling me. I love it. I love it. But, but here's the deal. When you got boys, you, you got chaos. And, and these two brothers in the womb, they didn't wait to be born. They started fighting in the womb. And you can just hear, and all you ladies know, uh, you can hear this poor lady saying, what is going on? That's what's going on is a fight inside, and we see that. And, and obviously Esau is born first, and Jacob comes later. And that's his word, basically, holder of the heel is what it means in Hebrew. It can also have a negative meaning of supplanter or someone who gives deceitful words. Winslow and Carr say that he had a heel-grabbing heart. In other words, Jacob was the kind of guy that was always, his heart was, it seems like, just not quite right. He's seeking after his own way. He's willing to deceive. But what begins in deception ends in reconciliation. We see that Jacob and Esau, when they are about to come together, Jacob wrestles with the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, if you've ever had a wrestling with the Lord kind of moment, but, but some of us have where we have felt God moving in our lives, and instead of receiving it, we wrestle with God. Well, Jacob is your patron saint, oh ye wrestlers. He was the one who wrestled with God. And here's a guy whose self-sufficiency, we see it all throughout the scriptures. In fact, one funny episode is in 29.10. And uh, he sees his love. He knows he wants to marry her. He sees Rachel. And so what does he do? All these shepherds, they get this big stone and they move it to feed uh, their animals. And he goes, I'm going to show them. And he picks up the stone all by himself and he moves it. He's a strong man. He's a, he's a big guy, and, and, and that's something we see in that one verse of Scripture. But when he meets God, he's going to try to uh, wrestle with him. He's going to use his strength to wrestle with God. And guess what? God is always stronger than you and me. But he's tenacious, and he wrestles with God until God touches his hip, and then it's all over. All of the tricks and strength of man cannot overcome the sin in our hearts. And that's one of the lessons we learn from Jacob. But here's the deal. Here's a man who is so ornery that he'll wrestle with God. Here's a guy who all throughout his life he is trying to trick or is being tricked. Remember Laban? Laban tricks him. So it just seems like one way or another this guy is always in the middle of shady business. But on this night when he wrestled with God... God changed him, and he became the father of a nation, and he became a man of deep faith, abiding faith, a man who changed the world. I'm here to tell you, I, I don't know if, if Jacob is your patron saint or not. Maybe if it just is uh, for you, self-sufficiency, you're trying to depend on your own way. Maybe you even come to church and you say, you know, I can appreciate worship, but when it comes to, to, to eternal life, surely I have to do more. That's a Jacob attitude. And eventually you have to realize there's nothing more you can do except for fall on your face before the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no self-sufficiency when we come to sin because sin always has the upper hand. And I want you to know there's no way to deceive God we must go to the one, Jesus, who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of that, he has the name above every name. Being honest about your sin problem and your need for Jesus is the first step towards salvation. 
And I'm here to tell you today, I don't know what you're going through, but quit fighting God and receive the wonderful, surprising gift of grace that comes through Jesus. Our next person is Joseph. And here we see how God worked through a man of conceit. Now, I want to say this. Um, th- I have to stretch a little bit here. I-, I-, I talked with several staff members. We all kind of agreed. Um, historically and in terms of theology, it is said that Joseph may be the one character in all of Scripture that nothing overtly negative is said about. He's like, other than Jesus, every other person in the scriptures, we kind of see um, them as, as just real human beings with the, the faults and failures that we all know too, too well. But with Joseph, he really was an exemplar man. But when you read between the lines, you begin to see that this man has a hint of conceit in his heart. Now, again, we don't have time to talk at great length about his story, but you'll remember that, that he was the favorite child. And any time you have a favorite child amongst many brothers or sisters, you're going to have problems. And you think about Jacob, you know, he wrestled with the Lord and he got touched by God. But when it came to parenting, sometimes I don't think he had um, all, all the, all the um, neurons firing, as it were, because he makes this pretty coat for, for his son. Now, what are you thinking? You already have all these sons from multiple moms. I mean, we're talking about, and I'm not a therapist, but this had to be a dysfunctional family. And what do you do? You give one the, the, the designer threads, and everybody else is saying, well, I, I'm wearing this you know, sackcloth-looking thing. It was not a smart deal. Also, if we look at Joseph, we want to talk about his story. I mean... You know, you'll remember that as he gets a little bigger, uh, he's starting to have these dreams about the future. And they're true. They're from God. So in one sense, you say, well, why wouldn't he share them? Well, I don't know how wise it is to say to your brothers, hey, one of these days, boys, you'll bow to me. Now, I don't know if he used that kind of language and that kind of, you know, attitude, but I guarantee you his brothers felt like that's what he was saying. So as he grows older, he's got the pretty coat. He has these messages from God. Sure, Joseph, God talks to you. You can just hear the banter between the brothers. And there's just something in the text. It is between the lines, but here's a man who seems to be conceited. We know what happens, though, right? These brothers were playing for keeps. They're not just upset. They're angry enough to murder. And Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, murder, right? So we see that literally in, in taking in effect here, taking place. You know, but it doesn't work out that way. He doesn't die. They sell him off into slavery. And again, I'm truncating the story here. Um, and he goes off to Egypt, Joseph does. But the hand of God is on him. The hand of God is at work. And we see in Joseph, this man that, that, that came, he was a late addition to the story. He too, uh, his mom was barren, and all these other brothers are being born from other mothers. And then here is this boy, is finally born to Jacob, and he becomes a favorite, and now he's gone. Let me just say this, can you imagine Jacob's broken heart? Can you imagine All the nights, the sleepless nights of mourning for his son, thinking that he's dead. That's what his sons had told him. His sons didn't tell him, didn't tell their father that they'd sold their brother off into Egypt, but they they lied and said that he had been killed. Oh, what a terrible, terrible thing. And yet God, in a surprising way, 
takes this conceited young man and puts him in just the right places. And it, it, it goes up and down. He ends up in prison. He has some things happen. As you know the story, if you know it well, he goes there. He's being successful, makes some other people jealous, ends up in jail, uh, then gets out and becomes uh, well-known uh, to the Pharaoh. And then he becomes like second in command of the whole country. And all of this happens because God knows a famine is coming to the land. There are going to be seven years of famine And God has put Joseph in just the right place at just the right time to deliver his family from starvation and death. And that brings us to the passage that I read to you just a little while ago. That passage where where Joseph says, listen, you didn't do this. God did this. God sent me here. Later, the writer of Proverbs in 1921 will say, many are the plans in the mind of man. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Joseph's story is about the purpose of the Lord standing no matter what. God works in mysterious, surprising ways. But let me tell you this. Where God is working, he's doing those things to save people's souls. The story of Joseph is is that God is at work and he's doing miraculous things. He puts Joseph in just the right place at just the right time to be a saving presence for his family. That is who God is. All the blessings in your life, all the gifts that you've been given, they are not just for you. God has given you those things so that you can be a part of leading people to Jesus ministering to them in the name of Jesus. Yes, and God sent me before you to preserve you. That's verse 7. But now let me read Matthew 1.21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God sent Jesus to save the world. But he also, throughout history, has used men and women like like Joseph, a man like Joseph, who wasn't perfect, had a little bit of conceit, and yet God used him to save his people. Now I want to say this to you. When we look at Jesus, we know as we come into the New Testament, we know that Jesus didn't have any conceit. We know that Jesus looked after the interest of others, that Jesus emptied himself to do God's will. In this way, he is one greater than Joseph. And because of that, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We're told that in the book of Philippians. But let me just say this, and I want to challenge you, church, in this way. When it comes right down to it, many of us who have been raised in church, I think that Joseph is more um, our patron saint. Because many of our sins aren't overt. When, when we are... Um, when we're being a little selfish or, or when we're, we're taking things for granted as it, as it relates to our heritage of faith, I think that's when we're channeling a little bit of Joseph. We're not remembering how good God has been to us. And sometimes what that will do is it will cause us to look down on people who have different stories than us. And what it does is, is it causes us to be careless and callous with people within whom Jesus is at work. Let me warn you, church, we need to be careful that we are not, because we've been blessed, being blind to the need that's out there. Joseph was blinded by his success. 
He wasn't able to see hurting people. And so many times I want you to realize conceit is a spiritual hearing problem. It's when we think we've got things figured out. And when we do, we tend to not be gracious to other people. What needs to happen is this surprise. We need to begin to die to ourselves. We need to remember that we are saved by grace. We need to be able to look at every human being and love them as Jesus has loved us. Now let's talk about Samson for a moment and how God worked through a man of violence. Joseph, it's hard to find a bad thing to say about him. And Samson, it's hard to find a good thing to say about him. Samson is an enigma to me. It's not conceit, though he has it. It really just is. Um, Everything about this man is a story of what could have been. The Spirit of God was promised to him. His parents, as we heard there in the book of Judges, his parents were promised that, that this would be a mighty man of God who would deliver his people from the Philistines. Let me tell you, the Philistines were bad dudes. They were evil and they were wicked. They were idolaters and they were murderers of God's people. God's people needed a deliverer. They needed someone like Samson, but they needed someone who wasn't just violent. They needed somebody who would be victorious in the power of God. But all Samson does is take his gifts and use them for violence. He pursues his passions rather than his calling, and we see him in trouble. Uh, It's great sexual sin, lots of anger. And when we come to someone like Samson and we see the kind of anger and wrath that poured out of him, we say, that's not me. But let me just warn you, just very very quickly, let me warn you that sometimes our anger, sometimes when we get upset with our family or at work, realize that we're doing spiritual violence sometimes and not realizing it. And we're, we're losing our edge. We're not utilizing our gifts When we think about violence here in this context, yeah, we're thinking about blood and death. But I want to tell you that, listen, you don't have to cause a bruise on someone's flesh to really hurt them. If you're not careful, if you're not being filled with the Holy Spirit, even your words can do spiritual violence. And here we see the surprising truth that God still works through this man. He has so much potential. His name in Hebrew, Samson, means sunny or sunlight. Or sun-like. In other words, this guy had the ability to bring the light of God into the world. And let me just pause again and say, so do you. Every single one of you have the ability, ability to be Samson-like. You can let l- the light of Christ shine through you. But you can't let that, you're not going to let that happen if you let sin fill your heart. Here's a man who gets angry and God's grace leaves him. Chapter 16, verse 20, because of sin. Oh, what a sad story it is, this man of war. So how do we transition from a man of war to a man of peace? Because Jesus was a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So he really was Samson-like. He really was the son of God who brought the light of God into the world. John's gospel tells us this. Jesus was the prince of peace, and Samson seems to be uh, the opposite of that in so many ways. Well, this is something that I think you'll enjoy greatly when you get to this part of Winslow and Carr's book. It's one of the real treasures of the book. They bring out some similarities between Jesus and Samson. Let me just uh, give you those really quick because this is interesting. Who knew that there were all these parallels 
between Samson and Jesus, both stood in powerful judgment over Israel. Both appeared before interrogators three times. Both were betrayed by, intimate by an intimate friend for a certain price of silver. And both were bound, mocked, beaten, and dishonored before men. Both gave up their lives with arms outstretched. And both provided great deliverance in death. That's incredible to me. That Samson, who in all these ways that I've already told you, does not seem to personify the power of God and the love of Jesus. Here we see that God is even working through this man. What a surprise that God would work through a sinful person. But let me show you these two differences between Samson and Jesus. Samson's life was taken while Jesus' life was given. Samson died to avenge his mistreatment. Jesus died for the purpose of reconciliation, for reconciling you and me to God. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we see it's surprising that God would use a man of violence like Samson. But ultimately, the, the violence against Samson also prepares us for the violence against Jesus. Every time at Easter, whether it's uh, Good Friday, or it's the actual Easter service where we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. We all have in the back of our minds this reality that Jesus has suffered and bled and died for us. That he was treated so violently for us to save us from our sins. There is no greater surprise in all the world that God would give us Jesus. Not to be one who brings violence but one who took it all for us. Let that sink in. That the violence that Jesus took upon his shoulders was for us. These three individuals, Jacob, Joseph, and Samson, very different. Jacob has a, a deceptive sort of lifestyle. Joseph is conceited. Samson is violent. But Jesus is truth, humility, and peace. These three men help us prepare for the coming of Christ in, in some negative ways, but it all makes Christ shine more. And I want to ask you today if it's been a while since you've known the surprise of God. When was the last time that you felt his presence? Even this week, as my, my habit is, to, to write out my prayers every morning. And one thing I'll tell you about, if you, if you haven't figured this out, I, I, I am disciplined. If you give me a task or if I have something I want to do day for day, I'm going to get it done. Discipline, discipline, discipline. But many times I've been thinking lately that that discipline is causing me to miss the intimacy I need with Jesus. And I want to warn you, because many of us, it's, it's not that Jesus, it's not that we don't believe in him, it's not that we aren't professing Christians, it's just that we have not been in his presence in a while. We have not experienced his power in a while. And whatever it is that is keeping you out of the power of Jesus, away from the surprise of God, it is time that we lay it on the altar, we get right with God, and we get close to Jesus. We need a miracle. We need the surprise of God. We need to be faithful. And Jesus, when he was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, yeah, he brought the gift of surprise. And that gift is, is that you and me, sinners, 
no matter what our sins, can be saved. And then God can do great and beautiful things through us. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.